You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, Mental Health Action, and this is my Brave Australia, dedicated to breaking stigma one story at a time. Hello, I'm Jane Grace from Red Flag Canberra. And I'm Tim Daly from This Is My Brave Australia. You're listening to Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest. It is my pleasure today to introduce and talk with Anne Pratt OAM. Anne received her Order of Australia Medal in 2017 for her service to the community through mental health support. Anne is the manager of HONE, a full-time support and accommodation facility in Queanbeyan for people suffering with mental health problems. The residence is home to 20 people who suffer from illnesses, including depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and provides each person with basic daily support. So welcome, Anne. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So before we delve into your background a little more, I'd love to yep. talk about the history of home in Queanbeyan, if that's okay. Yeah, sure, certainly. Um, the home was the idea of Father Peter Day, who uh, lived on the streets in Sydney for some time and, and saw a sort of people who um, had a mental illness and, ha- and didn't have a home, didn't have that support and love that go together to make a home. So anyway, he moved down. He moved down to Queanbeyan, and then um, and obviously. Um, the idea was just sitting there and then uh, we were having a hit of tennis one Saturday morning and he mentioned to me what he wanted to do and, um, and then he sort of, I think at his next mass or a mass he did anyway not long after he spoke about like his dream of sort of uh, making this home for people um, who lived with a mental illness and uh, and then people from um, there was a businessman um, who was our chair Tony Carey for about seven years and an architect Nick Pelle who came on board straight away and um, um, so that was in 2005 we had our first meeting, um, and the meeting was held down at the, um, it was actually down at the Presbytery at the Catholic Church, and, and the people involved in that first meeting were people who were interested and people who uh, could be board members, sort of board members. Um, after that first meeting, um, we went out and uh, spoke to people. I was working at that time up at St. Benedict's. I was running St. Benedict's. Um, community day center so we spoke to sort of potential residents up there about what they would like what would they would like to see in a home and what was their sort of um, um, what they what did they think sort of we needed to make it work and uh, and so we we spoke to them and then we also went down to Ron Hemmings Center down in Goulburn and spoke to people down there um, so that was yeah that was all around that 2000 um, 2006. Um, at the same time, uh, Sir William Dean, we, um, Tony Carey and myself went and spoke to Sir William Dean. He came on board as our patron, uh, from the very beginning and, uh, which has been uh, fantastic and he still, still is our patron. It took, from that first meeting in 2006, it took four years, nearly to, four years, nearly to the month, um, to actually get home to the point 
where we could open. We opened on the 1st of July 2010. Um, during that four years, it was interesting. It was a period in my life where um, I know I grew a lot um, and just uh, and learned so much. Um, but I think it was, and our board that we had was made up of, as I said, Tony Kerry was our chair, and then we had um, Nick, who was our architect, and then we had. Um, uh, we had uh, like solicitors, we had an accountant, so we and we had people who worked in the mental health area as well. So, um, so we had all the, I suppose, the skills, the gifts that we needed uh, to make uh, to get to home to the point where we could actually open. Um, There's a lot of hard work. We came up against a lot of brick walls, and I know, um, uh, sort of, I suppose the government sort of line to us for a long, long time was um, you don't house sort of 20 people um, in one area with mental illness. And uh, but we didn't. You know, I think every time we sort of hit a brick wall, we didn't think, okay, this is just too hard. We found another way to do it, and um, and uh, as you sort of eventually, obviously. Um, Governments came on board, and um, and we and they committed money to actually uh, build home. Both sort of Labor and Libs um, committed money to build, and that's um, how we were. And as well as I suppose I should get back a little bit from the very very beginning, we had the community on board. So in the first year, I think it was 2006, we had um, a cocktail party just to introduce what we were doing, and then kept the community, sorry, in the loop the whole way. So they came along that journey with us, um, which was a great thing And uh, because home is community-owned. So uh, so they were a part of, I suppose, building home from the very, very beginning. And uh, But, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was those four years, I must say, were was a challenge, but I think we all grew during that time and we've come out with an amazing place. So, uh, um, so it's been fantastic, yeah. The name Home in Queanbeyan is central to the project. Why yeah. was it making a home for the residents so important? It was, um, I think, because it was, it was a name we sort of came up with very, very quickly. I think it was one like we, from the very first meeting, we sort of said, well, John, we have to have a name for what we're going to do. And uh, Home in Queanbeyan just sort of, um, I forget, I, I I'm not sure who even come up with it. Maybe Peter. He's sort of obviously good with words, and um, but it was because what we'd seen because I worked at as I said worked at St Benedict's uh, for seven years before Home opened before I was made, became manager of Home, um, and I, I suppose what I, I saw and what Peter had seen sort of in his work and that too was that many people have what we'd call a house. They have a roof over their head, but they don't have that love and support that you actually need to make a home. And um, so that's that's a difference often what we say. Like people with a roof over their head um, ha- often have a house, but you need that that real love, that support, um, and to and not to be isolated to actually make it a home. To make it, yeah. So, uh, um, so that's what we wanted to do. You know, we weren't because home was the first one to actually open in Australia, or, or model of this kind to sort of uh, sort of happen in Australia. So it wasn't, um, and that was the great thing I think about it, and, and through the whole thing, how we learnt so much was that we didn't have a handbook. No one gave us a handbook and said this is how you do it. It was um, learning as you go in many ways, and uh, and but we were clear on one thing that you know this was going to work. 
because we, you know, because of the support um, and the care that we were going to give to the residents who came in. So, yeah. And your motto sort of wraps that up, doesn't it, is that they're living in their home and you just happen to be there supporting them and not the other yeah. way around. So. Exactly right. Sort of. I mean, they've all like the each resident has a one bedroom self contained unit, um, and I know um, one of our residents who actually passed away last year, Luis. He, a beautiful man, came originally came from Uruguay, and when you'd sort of, you'd ask him, sort of, you know, do you are you happy here, Luis? Do you like it? And he said, I love it. I love it. You know, if I want people, I come out. If I want to be by myself, I can be in my unit, and uh, and and so that that's and that's what it is. We've got the sort of the um, the actual physical way home set out is we've got the units um, surrounding a courtyard and uh, and I've actually just come in from outside and a lot of the residents were having a trivia trivia session and a lot of the residents are out sitting in the courtyard and uh, um, and it, yeah it just makes it so homely place so uh, um, so so it's great yeah yeah so what about the project made you think that I need to be involved with this. Okay, um, this is it's probably a fairly it takes in a little bit of my in my history as well. Um, I um, how I got involved actually in the sort of I suppose the mental health area was two ways. In, in um, I worked for a doctor for in Queanbeyan here for many years, and uh, and he was very he was a very compassionate man and uh, had a lot of time for people who. Um, People who were vulnerable, and a lot of those people that came in, in had mental illness, and and it just and it was I suppose a time where I sort of thought, you know, you know, I was really passionate about helping these people, and uh, and I, I knew that I was just so interested in mental mental health, but um, but then there, there was the other side of my life where um, my husband actually had a mental illness, and um, he suffered from clinical depression, and. Uh, he actually um, he took his life um, in 2001. Um, be, yes, because of that mental illness, and and I learned so much from him. I um, I just you know I still think and often say he was probably one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life, both mentally and physically. Although he had a mental illness, and I think that's a really big thing for people to understand that. You know, people with mental illness, it doesn't mean they're weak in any way. I, again, I say he was one of the strongest people um, I've you know, ever, ever met and probably ever will meet. Um, but I just learned sort of so much from him and his struggles, everyday struggles to actually function in life. He was a very intelligent man. We had two daughters and um, um, and he was a great father and a great husband. Um, but um, so I, yeah, so and, and also too, I suppose that also I being a sort of um, a family member, and I suppose in many ways towards the end a carer, um, the impact it has on families it's uh, it's huge. You know, it's not just the person with the mental illness. Um, it, there's so many people around them that just. Um, um, sort of a struggle as well, and uh, and yeah, and I just I suppose I, I just remember sort of when he was so unwell. He went through periods where where he was really unwell, and um, just sort of even coming home from work, 
and just wondering if he was going to be there, you know, and, and just the pressure that that puts on on a family um, was huge. But uh, so, yeah, so I suppose sort of there, that's through looking at uh, sort of, I suppose, with Bernie and then you know, working for the doctor, the GP in, in Queen Bien, um yeah, I, I just realised that this is what you know, where I wanted to be. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to have some involvement in the mental health area. And anyway, St Benedict's Community Centre at that time, um, I think it was about 2001, not long after Bernie died, and um, was set up through five church groups in Queanbeyan. And um, so I started volunteering there. And it wasn't long after that I was actually able to, I actually um, start, sort of worked there and started running St Benedict's. And I was there for seven years. And, um, and as I sort of uh, said previously, saw so many people that came through St Benedict's that needed somewhere like home um, because, you know, they're either home, a lot of them were either homeless or living in, um, whether it be government housing, or but were very lonely, very isolated people. So um, um, so when sort of Peter actually mentioned um, home to me, I just said to him straight away, yep, yeah, I'm in sort of thing. I want to, you know, I want to be part of this. And uh, and I was um, fortunate I did, and I'm still here and loving every day of it. So it's, uh, it's really great, yeah. A lot of people probably don't understand or don't realise that the, the consequences of suffering from a mental illness uh, can be homelessness because oh, yeah. um, if you lose your job because of your illness. And mm, a, a lot yeah. of people won't admit that they've got a mental illness to their work, so they end up losing their job. And a, a lot of people end up on the street. So having a facility like home... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and also to another side of what we do at home, it's not just providing like a home for, for our 20 residents. Um, it's also the awareness. So every, every opportunity we get to sort of go out into the community and speak about, um, about mental illness and about home, um, we take sort of thing because uh, that is one of our roles as well around the awareness. And hopefully, it is, hopefully that helps to rid that stigma and, um, and make people feel as though they can go and get help because there are. There's, you're so right. There's so many people out there that, um, you know, don't go and get help because of the stigma. And, uh, and that's really sad. So, uh, and hopefully what we're doing, and I have heard people sort of say it in Queanbeyan, and, you know, home's been great at educating a community, you know, around mental illness and more acceptance of people, you know, who have a mental illness. So, uh, um, so that's been a huge thing as well. So it's been a great, it's been great. It's been great for our community. So not, and not just Queanbeyan, but Canberra as well. So, yeah. You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra mental health action and this is my brave australia you, you mentioned that earlier that there initially with the with the project there was blockages from the from the it government <laughs> who said yeah you can't house that many people with mental health yeah. issues altogether, um, yeah. which is a stigma in itself isn't it without a doubt without a doubt look i look at the residents here and you know and, and you know, they're just 
so they're so special. They look out for one another. Do you know they would? They would. I mean, they're not the best of mates or anything, but they'll sit and have a conversation uh, with one another. But if there's any, you know, if, so, if someone was singing out from a unit, they'd come and get you straight away. They really look out for one another, um, which, which is is fantastic. So uh, um, yeah, so I think, uh, and, I, and we've got the like, and it's great. We've got the you know, mental health that's totally on board with us now, um, and have been for many many years now, um, and. and and governments are as well, and I know um, I know governments do use home uh, as an example when they're talking about uh, models for um, housing for the people with mental illness. So it's um, yeah, so it's great. It's great. To, uh, we're, yeah, we're very proud. I'm very. I so I think we're not just proud of home, but we're proud that a community saw that there was a problem and they stood up and they did something about it. So uh, I think that's pretty good. So yeah. Well, it's not, and it's not just. Um people with a mental illness who feel safe and secure with people who have the same living experience as they do everybody tends to gather in places that people understand them so um, being able to live in a in a place where your neighbours understand what you're going through must make you feel safe and secure at the same time Without a doubt, without a doubt, because there's real, well, there's empathy there, isn't there? And they're sort of, um, yeah, they do, because they do understand. And when you know, someone's not well, they'll look out for them. And um, and, and it is, I think, um, yeah, I think it's special. And I think we haven't had any problems here as far as you know, residents sort of not getting on or, or you know, um, um, I suppose what we did in the beginning, like just going back a little bit, about 12 months before we opened, we did set up a, what's called a, t- a tenancy committee. The tenancy committee was made up of, um, obviously myself, there's a board member, uh, a member from the local uh, police, a community representative and the manager of the local mental health service. And uh, um, so, so there is a fair process that goes into choosing um, residents to come in because, um, and that's mainly sort of to make sure that home is the right fit for them. Um, it, it, it's not for 100% of people. So, uh, um, so we do have that tenancy committee. Once the tenancy committee actually uh, looks at referrals and may choose someone, it then goes to the home board and they make the final decision on whether the person comes in or not. But, uh, and I remember when we first started the first. Um, I suppose choosing the first six because we did stagger people coming in in the beginning and uh, and that the first six were fairly easy. Um, after that, it just as it went down, it got harder and harder. So uh, to actually choose people, because you did have to sort of choose people, I suppose, who could live together and um, um, who could live together. But um, yeah, so so it was so, so we had to put a lot of work because what we thought was we had to be careful like um, that process first of coming in rather than having to put people out. Um, we didn't want to get, we didn't want um, that to happen sort of thing. So uh, so we thought if we made the process of coming in, um, yeah, a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit more, uh, I suppose, not stringent, but just a little bit. So we, we ensured we got the right people. Um, yeah, we didn't want to actually put people out. So, uh, hmm. so it's been, the whole thing's been, you know, um, yeah, yeah, long process, I suppose. But uh, we've got the people we've got in now. Um, yeah, it's just it's fantastic. They just uh, they really I get overwhelmed by uh, their strength. To know their 
um, wanting to be well. Um, it's it's really it's great. It's really great. So. Mm. So, so what's a typical week like at home, um, excluding the current circumstances? Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's, uh, it's lots, lots of weeks are different sort of thing. What um, morning and night, um, we assist residents with medication because I think the medication is the foundation of staying well um, and we build on that. So a number of our residents or probably a fair number of our residents are under the NDIS. Um, so they have service providers coming in and whether it be domestic assistance or whether it be social, taking them out or taking them on trips. Um, and then other time, other, um, then we have GP appointments, we have mental health appointments, reviewing medications and then some of the medications some of the residents are on, they need to have blood tests you know, once a month and then go and see the psychiatrist. So, so there's different things. No day is the same, and um, and sometimes you can sort of come in and you have you go and do a, a B C and D, and you don't you you, know, you you don't get them done. You sort of do four other things. So, uh, um, but but it's um, yeah. So it's different. But the, generally, what we do, we're very conscious of the physical health of, of our residents. So we try to ensure because often the medications that a lot of them are on. Um, makes it difficult for them to uh, keep their weight down uh, and to stay physically fit because our what we um, know is that physical and mental are so closely linked we have to look after their physical health as well so so we're very conscious to make sure you know the residents are getting enough exercise that they're eating well um, yeah, and um, so that's part part of what we do during the week. But often, a lot of it's around the NDIS appointments, things like that. So yeah. And in the current situation, how's everybody coping with the isolation? Yeah. Look, they're, they're going well. We were sort of. I was actually just speaking to one of our team members yesterday, and we were sort of just saying, you know. The, Sort of thinking about why they're actually going really well at the moment. I think, I think one of the reasons is because we're remaining calm, um, but we've put things in place to make sure to to ensure that um, um, there's not a lot of people coming into home at the moment. Um, to, we've have cut back on a lot of the service providers and just kept the essential services for the people who may not be able to, whether personal care or people may not be able to actually look after their unit. Um, so we've done that. But what we're doing here, as I say, the physical side of it that's so important to make sure people, the residents stay mentally well, we've been taking residents one-on-one down um, for walks and uh, um, keeping up with that. And then what we do in the afternoon, we just, um, as I say, we just had a trivia afternoon out in the courtyard. So we're trying to do something that's fun in the afternoon. So, uh, and everyone has a laugh. And things. But, uh, but they're actually going well at the moment, I must say. Um, I was speaking to mental health this morning and uh, they're, they're all, um, their mental health's good. Um, they're not uh, panicking. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's because just the way, I suppose, we are around them. We, we are very conscious of keeping them calm. They know what they have to do. They know, you know, they need to sort of be a certain distance apart. Um, but but we see one another and uh, and they, and we continue to say to them we're all here together we're all in this together it is like one big family so uh, um, so we're all looking out for one another and 
Africa, and they know that and they believe that. In the current circumstances, the best place to be because, unfortunately, yeah. um, if they're out there by themselves, that they, they probably would struggle. Without uh, a doubt, yeah. I, I agree completely, Tim. That you know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there at the moment uh, truly falling through the cracks, and uh, um, and just uh, even around food and you know, even medications. Just think all the basic things that a lot of people would need. Um, and just uh, they would be finding it very, very difficult. Mm. So, uh, so they are they they are in that respect. The residents are the fortunate ones. There's no doubt. Yeah. Though we were talking about the government support earlier on, yeah. home is yeah. self-funded, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is, and and we actually. Um, yeah, we don't get government funding. We we do sort of apply for some grants, like the local council grants, and uh, and they've supported us right through. So, uh, like since we've been, or well before we're opened, actually. But as far as government funding, no, we don't get um, any government funding, and we don't seek any government funding at the moment. Um, I suppose um, there's benefits. Oh, I suppose there's benefits. Or, or probably more negative, I could say, sort of both ways in that, you know, there is that risk that, um, like this year, obviously, we're not going to receive the funding that um, we would normally get um, because of, I suppose, the bushfires and then now the coronavirus, um, people are struggling themselves and, and we understand that. But um, but I think if we get if we get government funding, I think, Government funding's not that secure these days. You know, you might get it for three years and then you've got to fight for it again. Um, and if you don't get it, what do you do then? And what we want, we want the community to stay involved with home because, as I say, home is proudly community-owned. So we want them to take ownership of home and be part of home. If we get had government funding, I think that would they would step back more so. Um, so at the moment, and if we can continue, I mean, things may tr change down the track. You just don't know. We may need government funding. But just at the moment, we choose to be self-funded, and uh, and it is working. So it's, uh, it's good. We've got some very, um, I suppose, great minds on our board, sort of financially as well as um, in other areas. But uh, so, they're, so we're very... Um, we look out like the money wise we're very sort of uh, careful with our money and value that this is sort of this money is given to us to look after uh, look after the residents and uh, so so we sort of use it wisely on that note if people would like to donate yep. to home or even volunteer probably not at the moment but in the future <laughs> how can they go about contacting you Yes, yeah, certainly they can. Uh, they can ring me on. Um, they can either ring me sort of on the landline, uh, which is six two eight four two four zero nine, or they can um, they can also email. So it's manager at home in queenbian dot org, um, or the um, or they can actually also go on. Uh, we do get donations through Give Now, which is a website um, that we've been working with for sort of many, many years now and uh, and that's actually an easy way to donate as well. Um, but also again with the volunteering, you know, after uh, after this is over, whatever how long that is uh, sort of down the track, um, yeah, we will need more, we will need volunteers, whether that be sort of, you know, helping 
with the residents, whether it be helping in the kitchen, um, you know, with the garden. There's so many different areas that people can sort of help with. Um, they can again contact me on those phone numbers or or that phone number or, or email as well. So uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to go to down to home in Queanbeyan a, a couple of times and met you for the first time the first time I went down there and you showed me around and showed me the units which are wonderful and what I was was struck by and which I told everybody else after I'd been down there was the 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 feeling there was just so relaxed and supportive yeah. that it's not a facility at all in any way shape or form no. it, it's no. it's a place where people live and yeah. um, I've through our support and, and donations that we're making, I've been through a few mental health facilities around Canberra. And like I said, it had just totally a different feel. And I think that's a lot to do with with you as well, because as, you've been manager yeah. there for 10 years now, haven't you? So I, Yeah, I have had a little bit of over 10, about 10 and a half now, but thank you for that. So no, that's, it's uh, kind of you, so... It definitely comes from the top, and I think that the the management of a facility like that um, definitely sinks down into the feeling and the environment of the place, and you're so welcoming and open and friendly. I think that that's just imbued through the through the whole home in Queanbeyan. So um, thank you, Anne, for speaking to us today, and thank you for sharing your story. That's all right. It's a pleasure, Tim. Thank you, and thank you for your support as well. No, that's so okay. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast was presented and produced by Red Flag Canberra, and this is my brave Australia. Thank you for listening.